<clears throat> well, I want to share some thoughts on the subject of music again this evening. But I was thinking as we sang that first song, There is a Redeemer. Keith Green wrote that song. And uh, that verse where it says, When I stand in glory, I will see his face. Just thinking of what kind of music he's writing now, you know. He used to get, if, you, if you're familiar with Keith Green at all, he used to get pretty active on the piano. And I don't know if there's pianos in heaven, and this is kind of speculation, but if you think about the fact that musical instruments have really progressed a great deal, I mean, the, the, the instruments that they had in biblical times probably we would think would be pretty primitive if we heard them right now um, in the Old Testament. You think of uh, all the instruments that we have now, like, like the piano. Uh, maybe, I don't know. But if, if we've been able to make that much advance on earth, think of what we could make in heaven. I mean, what kind of instruments? Uh, well, you can think about it anyway. I don't know. <laughs> uh, let me start with a couple quotes uh, related to the subject of music. Um, and I, I'm going to end the message with some quotes also, but just to get our thoughts flowing here. Uh, one Greek writer by the name of Damon, who uh, lived in the 5th century B.C., he was actually an advisor to Pericles, said this, Show me the lyrics of a nation... And it matters not who writes the laws. Show me the lyrics of a nation, and it matters not who writes the laws. In other words, he was saying there's a lot of power in music that pervades a culture. Uh, and think of him saying that in the fifth century B.C. That was before. Uh, that was before uh, CDs and tape players and and. Uh, radios and all the ways that music comes at us today, they didn't have any of that. But even back then, he was saying there's such power in music that it can uh, change the course of, of a culture. So uh, music has tremendous power to stir emotions and therefore change our thinking even on things. Um, another famous quote, you've probably heard this one before, music hath charms to soothe the savage beast. You heard that one? Um, it works the other way, too. I've never heard this, well, I haven't heard it because I'm just making it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> music hath charms to stir the savage beast also. Uh, it can be used in a positive or a negative way. So those are a couple quotes just to get us thinking about the power of music. Now what we want to do, what I've been trying to do, is just share some thoughts related to what the Bible has to say about music. And of course that's such a big subject that we're not going to be able to do justice to it even if I spoke on it many, many times. Uh, so far we've looked a little bit at the origin of music. The origin of music is in God. He's the originator of this whole idea of music. And because we're made in the image of God, we are musical. One way or another, we're musical. We may not think we're very musical. If, if I don't stand back from this when we're singing hymns and I'm up front, you'll know I'm not very musical. But I usually try to get back a little ways. But anyway, uh, 
We all are musical in one way or another because we're made in the image of God. So we looked a little bit at the subject of the origin of music. We saw that uh, far from you know man being the one who came up with this idea, God's the one who had the idea of music. And uh, far from being a, uh, human beings being the only source of music, uh, we saw that there's music down on a subhuman level, which has to do with even the birds and all nature singing in one way or another. We saw it on the superhuman level, that is, the angels uh, are uh, noted in the scriptures as being musical. So, anyway, we, we looked, at the, looked at that a little bit. And then, last time I spoke, we tried to go through some of just what the Bible teaches in relationship to scriptural ways of using music, proper use of music. And I'm just going to uh, give you the headings here, and we won't look at any of the verses. We did that last time. Of course, the main one it was that music is used in the worship of God. Uh, it's also used to express prayer. It's also used to declare God's greatness to fellow human beings. Uh, it can be used as an aid in, wor in the worship of others, in other words, helping other people worship God. Uh, it's important in spiritual warfare. Uh, it can be used to edify yourself spiritually. Uh, it can be used to edify others. It can be used to teach. Uh, we see these uh, uses in the scripture and is also used in, uh, has an evangelistic effect. Uh, that's brought out in the scripture. So those are some of the, the reasons, the good ways of, of using music that we saw. But what I want to do tonight is point out that not all music pleases God. Uh, you already know that. But I want to point out from the scriptures some examples of music in the scriptures that did not please God. So... Uh, We'll start by turning to Exodus, but let's, let's pray here before we go on. Father, we ask that you would teach us from your word tonight, steer us away from music that is displeasing to you, and uh, help us to uh, be people who um, use this gift in the way that it was intended. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Exodus 32. This is the account when Moses is up on the mount getting the Ten Commandments. And the people got a little anxious. They got very anxious that he didn't come down when they thought he should. And so they made this golden calf. I think you're probably aware of the story. But uh, we'll pick it up. Well, let's see where it would be. Let's try verse 15, 32:15. <clears throat> then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other, and the tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua heard the sound of the people, as they shouted, he said, Moses, said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. So this was a time of singing and dancing, but it certainly was not one that pleased God. And one, one broad area we can say uh, of music that displeases God is music that's used in conjunction with false worship. 
And that is a big area. Because if you would look around the world, if we could look around the world tonight at all the religions of the world, you'll find that they all, I'm, I'm, I mean, I can't say this for sure, but I, I think it's probably true, they all are associated with music in one way or another. There's music involved in that worship. It's just, it's, it's something that, that mankind has, it's, it's been written on the heart, this, this ability to use music, but because man has fallen, by and large, if you look around, it's used in false worship over and over again, false religion. There's much idolatry in music, and much music is used uh, in all the forms of idolatry that we see uh, around us in the world in false religion. So that would be one area that uh, would be displeasing to God. And you know, uh, you have to be careful on this one because you can't, I, I mean, you might think out there a Hindu or somewhere like that, but it's, it, it creeps into a lot of areas that we wouldn't think were quite that extreme. I mean, it's so easy to sing a beautiful song if it happens to be written to Mary because there's some beautiful music that's been written. Uh, so, again, you have to be careful because just because your emotions are stirred doesn't mean it's God-honoring. Well, that's the first one. The next one would be music used to manipulate towards evil. Music that is used to manipulate us towards evil. Now, the verse I'm going to use might seem like it just fits into the first category, music used in false worship, but I want to bring out a distinction here. So let's turn to Daniel. Chapter 3. I don't think we'll... Again, these would be a little more understandable if we take the time to read the whole section, but we just can't do that tonight. But you remember what the situation was. Uh, well, verse 1 of chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and the width 6 cubits, and he set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And he calls everybody together and uh, says, you know, everybody's got to bow down to this image. <clears throat> and... Uh, Let's see. Let's start with verse 4 here. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now, if you read down through the whole account, down through, uh, well, the rest of the chapter, but especially down through verse 18 or so, you'll see that uh, God has saw fit to, to name those instruments four times. I think he's emphasizing something here. And it's not to, just that, you know, this was associated with false religion. I think... One of the things that we see music used for is to manipulate. And what, he, what he's doing here is trying to manipulate a whole population into bowing down. It's a lot easier to bow down to that image if the music is blaring. And it was blaring. I mean, you've got the, the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music. Music is, is used throughout the world to manipulate people. And I think that's part of what it was being used for here. Uh, the pomp and the power of music was used to get the people to comply. I think it was used to get the godly people to, to comply. They didn't, but it, it was uh, used, trying to be used in that way. It's a powerful manipulator of emotions. I couldn't help but think of uh, Hitler and how he used the music of Wagner. Uh, 
Wagner was a classical music writer that wrote very emotional, powerful music, and Hitler would incorporate that into his rallies and uh, his big uh, mass demonstrations. Why was that? Because it would stir the emotions. And, of course, we're talking here, it, it, it's, it, this can be positive and it can be negative. If, you, if, our, if our emotions are stirred towards something good and, and wonderful, that's, that's pleasing to God. If they're stirred towards something evil, that's displeasing to God. That's what they were trying to do here in Daniel, and that's the way it's been used, uh, certainly the way Hitler was using it, uh, the music of Wagner. So, used as a means of manipulation. Now, I want to put in a little side note here. Just to say something about something you may have heard, and uh, I know I have read things along this line, it's sometimes asserted that Satan was involved in music in some special way before the fall, uh, and therefore that uh, music is a special tool of Satan. Now, I think Satan uses music, but the the idea that this is a special domain of Satan uh, I'm a little leery of because of the verses they take it from. Uh, primarily Ezekiel 28:13. If you want to turn to that, you can. But let me just say the idea there is that uh, it's, it's a verse that... Well, let's go ahead and turn to it. Ezekiel 28:13. Uh, this has to do with the, the leader of Tyre, and yet it seems to be a, a uh, representative, the, the, the leader there, the king, is, is a representation of Satan, because it goes into some things that don't, do not seem to fit the king of Tyre. Uh, see, it's uh, verse 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, you know, that's kind of hard to fit with the king of Tyre. So a lot of people would say this uh, refers to Satan. And when you get down to verse 13, uh, oh, about midway through the verse there, it says, And the gold of the workmanship of your settings and sockets. In the King James... There's the word there is pipes, and from that people take the idea that that pipes has to referred to a musical instrument. So therefore, Satan has some special uh, uh, musical ability. He had it even before the fall, and now he uses that to uh, in a special way. In other words, uh, they almost you almost get the picture that music is satanic. Uh, now, again, I, I, I'm not denying that Satan uses music to deceive, but uh, that he has some preeminent musical gift, or he had some preeminent musical gift before the fall, and now uses that, uh, I think it's a little, a little questionable. First of all, you have to believe that these verses do apply to Satan, which a lot of commentators question. I think they, pro they probably do. Um, then you have to say that every detail that's given here would apply to Satan, uh, which I don't know if you can necessarily say that, because he is addressing this to the king of Tyre. And then, lastly, you have to believe that the King James Version is correct in translating this ver uh, word where it says sockets, translating that as pipes, being some kind of musical instrument. Um, it's, it's hard to know how that's supposed to be translated. Uh, the, uh, one source that I read said that it's the only occurrence of this word in the entire Bible, so you don't know for sure how, how it should be uh, translated. It, se it seems like it refers to some so sort of hole, so that could be possibly a musical instrument, some kind of a flute or something that has a hole in it. But it more likely refers to some type of a mine where they get precious minerals out, and that's the way it's taken here um, in the New American Standard. That's the way the um, NIV uh, takes it also. It's some kind of a uh, 
jewelry-making uh, reference. So I'm saying all that to say that the idea that this refers to Satan in his pre-fall condition having some great musical gift, uh, I just I don't know if that's valid. Uh, the reason I'm making a big deal about that is because I've read some some books related to rock music, and they make a big deal out of this. You see, this is Satan had this gift before the fall, and now he's using it to drag all the teenagers off. And uh, I just think it's a dubious uh, uh, use of the scriptures there. So anyway, that's just a little side note. But there's no question that music is used to manipulate, and that's what we were looking at there in Daniel. So let's go on then, back to the uses of music that displease God. Uh, number three would be when music is used to slander, mock, or denigrate others, especially the people of God. When music is used to slander, mock, or denigrate other people, uh, it's displeasing to God. Let's turn to Lamentations, which is right after Jeremiah, and this refers to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. Lamentations 3. 14. This is Jeremiah speaking, and of course, he was the weeping prophet and uh, gave a message that was not received in his day. And here's what he said I have become a laughing stock to all my people. Their mocking song all the day. So there's a form of singing and music that's displeasing to God. If you mock God's people with music, you can be sure God doesn't like it. Uh, you see it again. This seems to be something that uh, Jeremiah was quite uh, aware of. Uh, verse 62 the lips of my assailants and their whisperings are all are against me all the day. Look on their sitting and their rising. I am their mocking song. Um, so, music used to slander and mock and denigrate. Uh, Job chapter 30. And verse 9, Job felt some of this type of wrong use of music. <clears throat> he said, and now I have become their taunt, or the literal there is their song. Now I have become their song, I have become a byword to them. In other words, it was another time, another example of... Uh, a mocking, <clears throat> mocking of, in this case, it was Job. Um, and I think maybe in some way, Psalm 137 fits in here, because this is what <clears throat> the Babylonians were trying to do uh, with the Jewish people when they were in captivity there in Babylon. Uh, Psalm 137, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing to us one of the songs of Zion. In other words, they said, why, don't you, why don't you sing one of those songs now? In other words, it was a mocking thing. Now, that's, that's uh, maybe not quite the same. But the idea is, if, if they would have sang those songs, I don't, I don't think they did, because they hang their harps on the willow tree instead of singing, which was probably a better thing to do than go along with what these, guy, these Babylonians were trying to get them to do, uh, which was just a way of mocking them. So, anyway, the point is, when music is used to slander, mock, or denigrate, it is not pleasing to God. Number four when it is associated with drunkenness. 
and you could expand that into drugs. And listen, music is used a great deal associated with drunkenness. You just have to wait a few more hours tonight to find that out. Uh, and I can attest to the fact that it's used with drugs a lot because I, uh, I was uh, in, the, in the army barracks with three other guys that use drugs every night and one of the things they do when they get together was turn the music up. It was right there with the drugs. Well, it's amazing that's not anything new. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, verse 11. Woe to those who rise early. You with me? Isaiah 5:11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them, and their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp and tambourine and flute and by wine. But they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the works of his hands. Music and drunkenness and wine uh, associated together. Isaiah 24. Verse 6. And uh, I guess we'll read down through verse 9. Uh, Therefore a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore the inhabitants of earth are burned, and few men are left. The new wine mourns, the vine decays, all the merry-hearted sigh. The gaiety of the tambourine ceases. The noise of the revelers stops. The gaiety of the harp ceases. They do not drink wine with... They do not drink wine with song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. Well, it's just uh, the verse just shows that there is this association between uh, drinking and uh, music. Now, like I say, there's so many examples. All you have to do is go into a bar and there'll be some music usually there. Uh, and again, the, uh, we can expand that into drug use. Um, so, again, nothing new. Number five, it's associated, music is associated with immorality, and of course then again it's something that's displeasing to God. Isaiah 23, verses 15 and 16. Now it will come about in that day that Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years like the days of one king. At the end of the 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the harlot. Take your heart, walk about the city, O forgotten harlot, pluck the strings skillfully, sing many songs that you may be remembered. The point here is, is that it was apparently a common thing for the harlot to have a song. The song of the harlot, walking about the streets. That's still happening today. There's a lot of harlots with song. And I don't want to just pick on females here. It's, uh, music is associated with immorality. Um, I, I mean, I don't have to prove that. I know I don't have to prove it. If you just turn on the radio, uh, you'll, you'll see that that's true. Uh, the scriptures, we won't turn to this one, they speak of, a, of the sensual song. You can look it up later if you want to. Uh, Ezekiel 33, 32. There's a lot of sensual songs today that are displeasing to God. We're talking about music that's displeasing to God. Uh, you know, this would be just an extreme example, but uh, Herodias' daughter danced. Uh, there before Herod and the end result was John the Baptist being beheaded that would be obviously 
a form of music that God didn't like. But there was this association here of um, the sensual song and uh, immorality. Number six, when it promotes um, uh, music that is displeasing to God, when it promotes vanity and foolish living that ignores eternity. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I just, just looked at these verses not too long ago. Uh, Charles shared some thoughts from here. Uh, you know, in verse 2, it is better go, to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living take it to heart. But if you get down to verse 4, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of the fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. Well, what's he saying there? Well, there's a song that fools sing. What kind of song is it? Well, it has to do with just living for this life and not thinking about eternity. And uh, it's a song that promotes vanity, basically, and foolish living. Uh, music is often used to drown out eternal realities. That's what I think he's saying here. This song of fools, if you listen to the music that's drowning out truth and reality, eternal realities, it's not a music that's pleasing to God. Number seven, when it's used in inappropriate situations. And again, now this one here, um, this is kind of, uh, oh, the Beasley misunderstood and some of this, uh, you know, depends on the person but and the situation. But it does seem like there is an inappropriate use of music just because of the situation that it's used in. Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25 and verse 20. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. It was an inappropriate use of music, you see, to sing the, what he's saying here. It's, it's just inappropriate the same way of taking off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda. It's not the right setting. And um, again, this is hard to determine sometimes, but singing in some situations is just not fitting. We're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so there's inappropriate situations for uh, music and singing, and we need to recognize that. Number eight, when it's associated with self-indulgence, decadence, and ungodliness. Now, some of these overlap. But uh, again, when, it, when music is associated with self-indulgence, decadence, and ungodliness. Let's turn to Job chapter 21. we'll start reading with verse 7. Why do the wicked still live, continue on, also become very powerful? Their descendants are established 
with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Now, Job's trying to figure this out, you see. Why is it that this seems to go on like this? Um, Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God on them. His ox mates without fail. His cows calve and does not abort. They send forth their little ones like the flock and their children skip about. They sing to the timbrel and the harp and rejoice at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity and suddenly they go down to Sheol. And they say, and they say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of thy ways. So here is uh, a description of people that uh, have everything going for them. And part of what's involved in their life is uh, they're singing with the timbrel and the harp. They rejoice at the sound of the flute. So there is this um, self-indulgence, no care about God, totally decadent, ungodly living that uh, has music associated with it. Uh, Let's turn to Isaiah 14. Uh, Again, this has to do with the king of Babylon here. If you look at verse 4, Isaiah 14, 4. And you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, and then it goes in a long description here. But verse 11, your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. So all the, all the splendor, all the, the self-indulgence that was associated with Babylon here, one of, the, one of the things that was part of that was the music of the harps. And it was displeasing to God. God says he brings it down to Sheol. So when music has this emphasis and setting and self-indulgence and decadence and just ungodliness, it is certainly displeasing to God. Now, uh, I want to put in a little side note on this one also. What about the music that is there for, that we might use for just relaxation or enjoyment just to listen to? Uh, Is that what I'm talking about here? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I think God has a place for that, even what you might call non-religious music. I don't know if that's probably not... We, we would sometimes call it secular music. I think there may be a place for listening uh, to music just for relaxation, relaxation and enjoyment. Uh, you see examples of that in the scriptures. We could look some of those up. Um, I think basically what you have are, are back in biblical times, you know, they didn't, like I, like I said earlier, we didn't have all the radios and that type of thing. Uh, so it was more or less either you made the music yourself um, or you, you listened to someone play. Uh, I mean, there's just no way of doing it other than that. You, it's either you or somebody that you're right there with uh, making the music because there was no other way of, of listening. So it's basically the the uh, upper class that uh, had singers and musicians, like Solomon, for instance. He had male and female singers, uh, and there was others. But the point is, is that there, there may be a, and I think there is a valid place for music, listening to music for relaxation and enjoyment. But we have to be careful there because, well, because of all the other things we already mentioned. If you listen to that kind of music, it's, it's not, uh, it's nothing that's uh, within the realm of valid 
Christian use of music. I guess we could ask ourselves questions like, does this music, me listening to this that I say is for relaxation or, or enjoyment, does it influence me toward worldliness? By that I mean to embrace worldly standards, worldly philosophies. If it does that, uh, you're not in the realm of, of where it would be valid. Does it encourage alienation from God or God's people? If it does, then it's not within the realm of what we ought to be listening to as Christians. Does it encourage uh, sinful attitudes? And again, that can be somewhat subjective because a song that might might lead you off into a sin- sinful attitude may not do that for somebody else. So some of that is somewhat subjective, and you have to answer that question yourself. Is this helping me or hurting me spiritually? Uh, I wanted to read a quote from Calvin here. I thought this was pretty amazing, coming from John Calvin. We always think of Calvin as pretty uh, stern and starchy. (laughs) This is what Calvin said. Among other things adapted for man's pleasure and for giving them pleasure, music is either the foremost or one of the principal. And we must esteem it a gift from God designed for that purpose. What's he talking about? What's the purpose? Giving pleasure. That's what he said. Among other things adapted for man's pleasure and for giving them pleasure, music is either the foremost or one of the principles. So uh, I think there is a valid place for listening to music just in terms of relaxation. Uh, or enjoyment, but we have to put that in the context of all this other stuff we've talked about. And then lastly, number nine, music used in true religion with false motives. Uh, and one of the ways that would be is that if when the people of God are using music and yet they're living in sin and selfishness. Amos chapter 5. Um, Amos chapter 5 and verse 21. Here's God's people singing God's music, probably some of the Psalms. But here's what he has to say about it. I hate, I reject your festivals. I do not nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream." So here was the use of music, probably music that in in another setting would have been pleasing to God, but this was not pleasing to God because of the motives and the lifestyle of the people uh, involved. Uh, Go down to chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria. And skip down to verse 4 now. So he's talking about being at ease in Zion. Then he says this, Those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp and, like David, have composed songs for themselves. David did it. It was pleasing to God. These people are doing, and it's displeasing to God. Why? Because of their motive, because of the sinfulness of their lives. 
It's because of living in self-indulgence and sin. Uh, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they will now go into exile at the head of the exiles. Well, the point is, is that uh, we can we could be in a situation where we're singing the songs of Zion and yet be displeasing to God because of our own motives and our own selfishness. In other words, it's, a, uh, it's hypocrisy. You know, God, any song that's sung in hypocrisy is displeasing to God. It's like the, the uh, people who gave alms and sounded the trumpet before them. I mean, that was a form of music, I guess. And it was, it's, you know, it was displeasing to God. They did it that they might be honored by men. It was not anything that uh, had godly motives in it. Well, those are nine things, then, that uh, we could say have to do with music that displeases God. But I didn't want to end on the negative, so I want to read a few more quotes uh, concerning music. I thought some of these were were good to hear. Uh, Let's see. Luther. We'll do do one from Luther. Luther says, Next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. I am quite of the opinion that next to theology, there is no art which can compare to music, for it alone, after theology, gives us rest and joy. Music is the handmaiden of theology. That's Luther. Now, you know, Luther wrote hymns, and and the Lutherans uh, were big on music, so much so that one Jesuit priest said this in the 16th century. He said, Luther has damned more souls with his hymns than with his sermons. Well, that's, that's... I mean, they, just, they didn't like this. They didn't like this hymn singing because God was using that to get truth across to people. And so it's a wonderful uh, testimony of the power of, of uh, music. And Luther recognized that. Uh, Bach, about the same time, Bach said this, The aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God, usually that's the part we hear, but it says, and the refreshment of the soul. So Bach says, the, the aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. Does the, does the music you're listening to refresh your soul? That's a good criteria right there. Does this really refresh your soul? Uh, Well, let's see here. Let's do A.W. Tozer. After the sacred scriptures, the next best companion for the soul is a good hymnal. Uh, Let me read a few more here from Tozer. I say without qualification... After the sacred scriptures, the next best companion for the soul is a good hymnal. After the Bible, the hymn book is next. And remember, I do not say a song book or a book of gospel songs, but a real hymnal (laughs) containing the cream of the great Christian hymns left to us by the ages. A great hymn embodies the purest concentrated thoughts of some lofty saint who may have long ago gone from the earth and left little or nothing behind him except that hymn. Sometimes our hearts are strangely stubborn and will not soften or grow tender no matter how much praying we do. At At such times, it is often found that the reading or singing of a good hymn will melt the ice jam and start the inward affections flowing. Every Christian should lay should have laying beside his Bible 
a copy of some standard hymn book. He should read it out. He should read out of one and sing out of the other. Read out of the Bible, sing out of the other. Uh, and he will be surprised and delighted to discover how much they are alike. So, Tozer. And, uh, well, let's see. Just a little thing about Spurgeon here. If you read Spurgeon's uh, sermons, you find a lot right in the middle of a sermon. He'll just quote a hymn. He did, did it all the time. And uh, there was a reason for that. The reason was that he, he would spend... Uh, uh, a no, he spent a, a number of years with his grandparents' uh, visits during the summer and things. And uh, he wrote this. It was during these periodical, periodical visits that his grandmother offered him a farthing each for every hymn that he could correctly repeat to her from memory. So she was paying him a little, little money to, to memorize hymns. At once he set to work, and so quickly did he learn them that his grandmother said, Charlie, I see danger coming. I'm going to be bankrupt. I must reduce the pay to a penny a dozen. Even at this price, he committed to memory the whole, almost the whole of Dr. Watts's hymns. And Watts had a lot more hymns than the ones we sing. Uh, Spurgeon later said, No matter on what subject I preach, I can even now, in the middle of any sermon, quote some verse of hymn, uh, hymnology, or hymn, uh, hymn in harmony, excuse me, I can quote some verse of a hymn in harmony with the subject. The hymns have remained with me. So it was a good thing his grandmother did there. Uh, it helped him in his in his preaching. Well, uh, music. We're, again, we're, we're, I hope to go on with this in the future. It's it's a big subject in the scriptures. Well, anyone have any questions or thoughts here before I sit down, Charles? I was 